Therese, thank you for that testimony. Um, that was a couple weeks ago. Peg Wood had mentioned about testimonies and how they're encouraging to other people. And uh, I, you know, I had a testimony this morning, but after hearing Therese's, I don't know if it's worthy of even speaking, speaking up. But I'll, I'll say it anyway. Um, that's awesome, brother. Yeah, yeah. It feels like a strong heart to me. Big man putting his arm out. <laughs> uh, so we hosted a JUCO baseball team called Wabash. They're from Illinois. And we had about 40 kids. And, and the, the, the idea of testimony is to encourage each other, right? It's to, it's to know that God's working out there. And there's, there's a lot of times God kind of gets forgotten because we get so busy with all the things in life. But when somebody can bring information to you and just it lifts you up and it gets you thinking about this awesome God that we uh, get to witness his creation every day. And so we invited these, this team. There was, there was 40 parents, or I'm sorry, 40 players or so, and, and all their parents and some siblings and some girlfriends, and they all, grandparents, and they all came to the house. And so we had this humongous shindig on Monday night. And as they get off the bus, you know, I, I wanted to introduce myself and, and, and uh, welcome them to our home. We had a big barbecue there. And so I stood up on my wife's uh, planter boxes and I just, I said, hey, I want to welcome you guys to our home, and there's a bathroom over there if you need to use it, and the food's in the kitchen, and you guys are welcome. Uh, you know, it's mine is yours, except stay, stay out of upstairs. That's where I live, so you guys can stay downstairs and eat there. And, and they got a good chuckle, and I, I prayed over the food, and I let them know that, one, you know, it's, it's been scientifically proven from things that I've read that when food is prayed over, somehow it just, it's, it's better for you. And I read some really cool articles about that. And whether or not it's true or not, I don't care. That's what I tell people. Uh, and so we pray, it's kind of an icebreaker, so we pray over the food. And some parents came up to me afterward, and they said, man, I really appreciate you praying over the food and, and making you know, God a, a part of this whole process. And a few days later, we're at the game, and one of the dads, who looks like a famous movie actor, my wife pointed out and showed me a picture, he looked like a famous actor, um, he just said, hey, who... We're standing on the first base side. We're sitting in the first base side behind the dugout, and we look up at the side of the mesa, and he says, who went up there and carved that into the side of the mountain? And I said, what are you talking about? He goes, look, up there, and there's this cross that you can see in the side of the Grand Mesa. And I said, well, that's, that's a pretty gnarly mountain. I've climbed up the side of that area. Nobody climbed up there, and you wouldn't, I mean, it's probably a landslide or something. Something happened there, but it looks like the shape of a cross. And he said, I just, he told me, he says, I just can't believe how people can walk and talk and live and see and hear and smell and breathe and not recognize this, the creator of the universe. And I was encouraged by his level of faith that he had, was able to look and see what nature had created, knowing that it was God who's in charge of all this. And God gives us these symbols throughout you know, our world of his existence. And so that, as Romans 1 says, that man is without excuse. We're not going to be able to say, God, I, I just, I didn't realize that you existed. He's going to say, well, have you not been to Grand Junction and looked at the Grand Mesa and seen the cross on the side of the mountain I put for you? Or have you not studied laminin? So I was able to share with him the cell adhesion molecule called laminin, which is our science fact for the day that many of you have heard. If you look up laminin, L-A-M-I-N-I-N, it's a cell adhesion molecule. It's the, it is the, uh, the rebar of the human body, if we did not have laminin, we would all just be like the guys on Ghostbusters and be slime. That's what holds us together. And, it's, and if you look at the scientific model 
of laminin, it's a cross. And if you look in Colossians chapter 1, it says, in him all things hold together, Jesus. And so God, throughout his infinite wisdom, has shown us that no matter where we go, what we study, if we think on him, it will always point back to him. Everything we see will always point back to him. So this morning, that's my testimony. Does anybody else have a testimony you want to share? Uh, we've got a lot of Sundays this year, so, so if you want to save it for next week, that's fine too. All right. Um, as, as most of you have wives, um, you realize that wives do something to a home. You know, you've heard, of there, there's no term, I've, I've never heard the term bachelorette pad. I've heard bachelor pad, and you go into a bachelor pad, and there's usually a poster of, you know, a, probably a, a, not a good movie uh, that you got for five bucks at a store, and then you, you might have a, uh, a sports figure or something, and then if you're me, you had a small picture of Thomas Kincaid, and none of them ever went together. There's no symmetry at our bachelor pad. And then when Brenda, you know, comes into the home, all of a sudden she starts, eh, that's got to come down, that needs to go in the trash, that needs to go in the fire. And because she's a woman of faith, she's able to put together, you know, certain things on the wall, which are indicative of the kind of person she is and, and kind of what we stand for as a family. So in our house, we have a lot of pictures of our kids. We have a lot of uh, Bible verses. We have sayings of encouragement. There's one that I noticed this morning, um, and it's in our kitchen. If you look up above the refrigerator, and it just says, I saw that, dash God. Um, and so there's little things that, that she puts in the house. And uh, on Tuesday or Wednesday of this week, I was changing Lily's diaper. I do do that occasionally. Uh, for those of you that don't think so. But I was changing her diaper and I looked up and on the wall above her changing table is a Bible verse and it's Isaiah 26. And it simply says, You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. That is the verse in Isaiah 26 verse 3. That, verse three you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. So that little wall art led me to this study of the word peace. And I think it was a few months ago, Justin had done a study on that, and I didn't want to just be redundant, but you know, with the Bible and with the words in the Bible, you can go a lot of different directions. And so I was constantly thinking about this word peace all week, and I kept thinking of this, uh, this one verse in uh, Philippians that we'll go, over, we'll go over a little bit later, Philippians 4, that go over, but I, I kept thinking of this word peace, and from many people's perspective, this book of Isaiah, it's pointing to the day of the Messiah's uh, ultimate triumph, when the day of the Messiah comes back and he reigns over Israel, and Dennis is nodding in approval, and he's in, which makes me feel good, and, 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 all, all, and his, his rule over all the world. And the people of God are taught in this Isaiah 23, 24, 25, 26 passage to, to triumph in the safety and the security of both the church and in general of every member of the church, and be under his divine protection. And then another point is it that we're going to triumph over all the opposing powers. But there's this word peace that I looked up in the Greek, and I looked up in the Hebrew, and I looked up in the different parts of speech, and, and the many verses in the Bible, and there's this, there's this underlying message that's continually throughout the, 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 the Bible about this word peace, and the conclusion seems to be pretty simple. The conclusion here is that peace with God is the best way to go through this life. Peace with God is the best way to go through this life. 
and certainly after we pass through this life, is being at peace with God. So this morning we're going to look at that word peace, and we're going to see that that peace is available to the human race, and I'm, I'm hoping, uh, Peg prayed for me this morning, um, and, and prayed a wonderful prayer about God using the words that, that you know, come from the scriptures and come from my mouth that are going to somehow encourage you and inspire you and that the Spirit of the Lord will be with us this morning. So my goal uh, this morning is that you guys get something from this idea and that you take it very personally, that, I'm, that when you say, man, I feel like you were speaking right to me, I can say, well, I was, Ryan. I, I was speaking right to you, man. Because there's times when I don't feel the peace. There's times when I have anxiety. There's times when I struggle throughout the, the week or I struggle throughout the day or something's bothering me and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of nervous about something. And then, I, and then I can go look at the mesa and I see that cross and I go, hold on a second. Like, what am I really worried about? But there's something in this passage we're going to look at towards the end. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast. There's several different translations of that verse, which we'll look at later. But first, we're going to start out with that word, peace. Like I said, I looked at it in the Greek, in the Hebrew. In Hebrew, we're going to go in detail, but it says shalom is the, the word in Hebrew. And it means complete or whole, calmness, serenity, tranquility. Okay, so we've got to create the basis of our foundation of what the word peace means in the Hebrew. Complete or whole, calmness, serenity, tranquility. In the Greek, it is irene, which means one, quietness, or rest. Now, the opposite of peace would be conflict, dissension, discord, fractured, and anxiety. So you have peace where there's oneness, and there's wholeness, and there's unity, and there's calmness. And then the opposite of peace would be fracture, and anxiety, and dissension, and conflict. Now, peace in the Hebrew word in the, in the Old Testament appears 300, uh, 237 times. 237 times that word in the Hebrew is mentioned. And I'm going to do some reading from it. I don't always like to read directly from it, but I'm going to. The Hebrew word is translated as peace as shalom. And according to the Strong's Concordance, it means completeness, soundness of welfare. It comes from the root word shalom, which means making amends or making whole or complete. When used as a verb, it means to complete or to restore. It can reference the temple. It can reference in the scripture someone's flock. If someone's flock is whole, the 99 and one goes away, and then they bring it back, now it's complete, it's whole. It can mean, uh, it can be alluded to the relationship between nations in the nation of Israel and other nations, whether or not there's uh, peace between them. It can be between human beings, whether there's not peace between two human beings. Uh, it could also mean unity, completeness, calmness, between mankind and God. It does not simply mean the absence of war. When we read peace, we like, hey, there's peace in the Middle East, it doesn't just mean that there's absence of war. The word peace means that there's, a, there's, a, there's something that was once broken that has been restored. So that's the, the root of the word shalom. It's not just, hey, everything is good, there's no war. It means everything there is good, there is no war. We are complete, we are unified, we are happy, we are good to go. So that's the, the, the Hebrew word. And so having shalom means being in a state of wholeness or completeness without any deficiency and lacking nothing. It's frequently used in the Old Testament about the wellness of others. You know the story of Joseph and Joseph, uh, uh, story of Joseph in Genesis 37. His father says, hey, go check on your brothers and make sure they are well. It can mean well-being as well, making sure 
They have everything they need. They're cared for. They're taken care of. In the Jewish culture, people use the word shalom in greeting expressions. Shalom, they say to you. And it means like, peace be with you or uh, peace upon you, well-being. In John chapter 20, Jesus says that. When he's showing them the side and it's his hands and his side, he says, peace upon you. Now in the Greek, in the New Testament, the Greek word is irene. And according to the Strong's, it means one peace, quietness, and rest. It originates from the word um, iro, which means to join together as a whole, to tie together into a whole or to join. So all this is important understanding the root word of something because it's easy to not, it's easy to look at this book sometimes and just go, ah, you know, this is difficult to understand. It's so, there's so many words, so many letters, so many pages. But when you start breaking it down and getting down to the foundation of what these words mean, it actually relates to me. It actually relates to me when I'm stressed out on Monday morning and I'm looking at my schedule and what I've got to do and my wife comes in and she's smiling and she pats me on the shoulder and I'm like, Brenda, just give me a few minutes to figure this out because I've got this anxiety going on. I'm not at peace. I'm not whole. I'm focusing on the wrong things rather than just a checklist of things I have to get done. Knowing God's going to take care of it as my mind is focused on Him. Right? Instead, I'm, I'm thinking about all the negative things, and that's part of Satan's ploy, is to get us to focus on the things that are outside of God, or to focus on things that, even if they're inside of God, to lose the big picture, to lose the idea of why we do what we do. So, having shalom means being in a state of wholeness, completeness. In the Greek, it means one peace, quietness, and rest to tie together. And if you want to put all that together, the Greek and the Hebrew and the different you know, nouns and verbs, the peace of God is different than peace in the world. Peace in the world is simply more than just we have no conflict. Peace of God is taking action to restore a broken situation. It's more than a state of inner tranquility. It's a state of wholeness and completeness. That's what, it, that's what the word peace is. If you boil it down, means. Now, a few days ago, uh, it was two days ago, I got one of probably the most disturbing calls that I've had in a while, but it was one that I, I hate to say it, but I, I, I kind of, I wasn't shocked by the call. Um, a, a, a very close friend of mine has been mentoring a young man for a lot of years in the faith, and he called me and said, my face is on the ground. And I said, what's going on? Are you okay? Is, you know, is your wife okay? Are you okay health-wise? What's going on? He says, I just got a call from so-and-so, and they're in jail. They uh, have made a decision. They did something that landed them back in jail. Not the first time, but the second time. And so this, 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 this man apparently was caught in a sin that manifested into a fractured life. And uh, that life ultimately uh, is going to be defined by conflict and complete spiritual warfare. And after hearing this story of this, this man falling from grace, I had empathy. I'm going to say it again. I had empathy for this young man because I know that his heart and soul is filled with turmoil which led him to make decisions which is going to probably cost him his wife. It's probably going to cost him his, uh, well, it will cost him his job because his job was ministry-related. And it's, it's 
highly likely it's going to cost him freedom. He'll be behind bars for a couple years. All because decisions that were made that were based on a sin that he had got caught in, and it led to a life of turmoil inside here. And so when I read this passage, when it says, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast. We like to avoid that part of the scripture because it requires accountability. It requires that we are part of this relationship that we preach about. That we have something to do with it. It's not just God, hey God fix this, God do this, God take care of this. He's not a puppeteer going like this. There's something in this verse that's saying I have something to do with this peace that's in my heart. Now that peace comes from God. Okay, It's not like I, I manifested and built it and then put it in there. It says, it says here very clearly, you will keep him in perfect peace peace. You are the one that keeps him in peace, but it's based upon him whose mind is steadfast. Now that verse means in several, I'm skipping ahead, but I think it's apropos to do it right now, is that whose mind is dependent upon you. If you look at the different translations, there's like five translations, whose mind is dependent upon you, whose mind depends on you, whose mind stays on you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. Every one of those, when it says, whose mind is steadfast, whose mind is fixed on you, whose mind is dependent on you, whose thoughts are fixed on you, that is who you will keep in perfect peace. And so when someone is not in perfect peace, I have to naturally think, are their thoughts steadfast on God? Are their thoughts fixed on God? Or is their mind somewhere else? I'm not judging you. I'm, I can look at myself and say, there's times when I have anxiety that I'm struggling, and I'm like, God, I don't feel the peace that you promise here. What are you doing wrong? <laughs> like God's like, well, go read that verse again, son. Whose mind is steadfast? Whose mind is fixed? Whose thoughts are fixed on God? So, opposite of peace, obviously, is conflict, dissension, discord, and fracture. And my heart goes out for anybody that, including myself, on a Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, when I'm sitting there, you know, Ryan, you're like, oh, this guy, this tool, I didn't make the tool, man! <laughs> and you get anxiety, and you get frustrated, and you struggle. And I want that peace that he promises here. So, the question I have on my Roman numeral two is, what does peace in Jesus have to do with each other? And every Christmas, every Christmas, back in Isaiah, we have this passage starting in verse six. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called, he will be called, who is this, for us a child is born? Who is he referring to? He's referring to Jesus. Right? It's a, it's a, if it's a prophecy from Isaiah, for to us a child is born, Jesus, the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. And he says that in John 14 and 16, I will send you a counselor, the Holy Spirit, to guide you and to teach you, to help you. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. 
He will be called Mighty God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. He will be called Mighty God. When Jesus says, I am, they wanted to crucify Him right then and there because He's saying, I'm God. And then He will be called Everlasting Father. And finally it says in verse 6, the end of verse 6, He will be called Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace is what Jesus will be called. It is a name of God. God's got many names. Jesus has many names. You know one of His names is Jealous? Literally, in the book of Exodus, I think it's 14, chapter 14, it says, whose name is Jealous, capital J. End of the sentence, not the beginning of the sentence. That makes, it makes a big difference. Whose name is Jealous. Do you realize that God is so jealous for your attention? He is so jealous for your devotion. He looks at what we focus on and what our life is mainly geared around, and if it's not Him, He is a jealous God. He goes, I want your attention. I want your devotion. For a couple of reasons. One, so I can be glorified, and two, so I can help you get through this life. I want to help you. I love you. It's like my own children. When they're devoted to other things, I'm like, what, you don't want to sit with me? You don't want to ride with me? True story, they're like five years old, and we got this Honda Pilot, and this Honda Pilot had that little camera thing that comes down. It's got a little TV screen on it. We're driving along, and we'd go to different places, whether it's through church or wherever we're going, and we drove separately, and they're like, I want to ride with mom. I want to ride with mom. And I'm going, what? And I start painting, what, what am I doing wrong here? I mean, I'm jealous that they want to ride with mom. Well, they all fought to sit in the back seat. And it's because if it's a longer drive, Brenda doesn't do this a lot. I'm not telling on mom. Every parent does it. They're like, I want some serenity. Boom, put the screen down. The kids are like, oh. It's just this total babysitter. Right? So we put the screen down, and the kids are focused on that. And I finally, after noticing that's what it was, I said, Brenda, I will never, ever compete with a television. I will not compete with a movie in your car. That thing goes up no more. And once we stopped playing it, they wanted to ride with me. That was a cool dad again. But I was losing to a movie. I was jealous. I was so jealous. Think about that as a parent. You're like, your kids are more dedicated and motivated and concerned about certain things rather than you. And it makes us jealous. I want that attention. I want that love. I want that camaraderie and that relationship. And I don't think God's any different. He wants us so bad to have that with him. He's the prince of peace that wants that relationship. So there's a few things here we need to talk about. Prophetically here, Isaiah is telling the nation of Israel and the human race as a whole that Jesus is going to come and restore what has been broken. That is what Jesus is going to do. He's going to come and restore what has been broken. If you turn to Colossians, and we just talked about Colossians a minute ago, about all things were uh, created through him and by him. But in Colossians chapter 1, in verse 15, starting in verse 15, it talks about he is the image, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Jesus all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things were created by him and for him. 
It's, it's basically laying out who this Jesus is. He is the, he is the, uh, uh, the head of the body. He is before all things. He's the head of the church. He's the beginning of, and the first part among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So he's talking about how awesome Jesus is here, the writer is. And then he says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. For Almighty God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in Jesus. And remember in Hebrews, it says that Jesus is the exact representation of God manifested here on earth. The exact representation. So we have the Almighty Father that brings Jesus in onto this earth for us. He, he manifests himself as a man and comes down. And then he says, And through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood and shed on the cross. The role of Jesus, when we talk about he will be called the Prince of Peace, the role of Jesus, according to this passage and many others, is to reconcile to himself things that have been separated from God. That's his, that's his role, is to reconcile through the blood on the cross. So think about that. Jesus being the Prince of Peace, when we talk about it being wholeness and completion and bringing together, that was the purpose of Jesus coming, was to bring peace between us and God. So what does Jesus and peace have anything to do with it? Everything to do with it. In Romans chapter 5, Paul is writing to the church at Rome, and he's talking, and he's going through this whole... We call it the Roman road of salvation. He's going and saying, hey, Romans 3.23, all men have sinned, all humans have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, he's like, well, I'm a pretty good person. Yeah, you're a pretty nice guy. You're a pretty nice gal. You're friendly. But you've seen the videos. Have you ever lied? Have you ever cheated? Have you ever stolen? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, so you're a lying, uh, cheating thief. You don't sound like a good person. The point is, all human beings have fallen short of perfection. The word sin is archery, Greek word, it means miss the mark. We've all missed the mark. We've all missed perfection. Every one of us. And so this book in Romans, he's going through this whole process and he's saying, you're not justified by keeping of the law. You're not justified by helping enough people. You're not justified by being a good enough person. You're justified by faith in Jesus Christ. You have access through this faith. And he says here in Romans 5, we have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you go to Romans, it talks about the wrath of man, the wrath of God is going against all of mankind. Because all mankind has sinned. Well, this is a hellfire brimstone sermon. No, this is just truth. If you don't like it, it's not going to change. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We've all messed up. Every human being sitting in this room. And he's saying, every man, woman, child has sinned, fallen short of God's glory. But guess what? There's a beautiful story that I'm going to bring to you, and it's peace in Jesus. And he says, we have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When you talk about he will be called the Prince of Peace, he came here to complete us because we were broken. That's the point of Jesus Christ. And in Ephesians, as you flip over a few pages, Ephesians chapter 2, Galatians talks about to the Galatians is talking to the Jews. I love how God put the Bible together through uh, the council. You've got Galatians and then Ephesians. Galatians, he's talking to the Jews who are so focused on work salvation. 
being justified by works of the law. And then in the church of Ephesus, you've got all these Gentiles, and I know he's writing to the Gentiles because he says he's writing to the Gentiles. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, you have the separation, you have the Jews and the Gentiles, and the Jews are saying the Gentiles must be circumcised and obey the whole, the whole Old Testament law if they're going to be saved. The Gentiles are like, whatever, we don't have to do that. And so they have this big discussion in Acts chapter 15, and they come together and say, no, they don't have to do this. These are the things we're going to teach them. And so Paul is a messenger unto the Gentiles, and he's preaching to the Gentiles, and he says, by those who call themselves a circumcision, remember that at the time before Christ, you were excluded you were separate from Christ, you were excluded from Israel, you were foreigners to the covenants without hope and without God in this world. He's telling the Gentiles, you had no chance of salvation. You could not attain salvation unless you became a proselyte and converted to Judaism. But he's saying that's not the case anymore. Jesus came, he nailed those laws, those covenants, he nailed them to the cross, and he says in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus... You who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. The Gentiles were far away from God, and the blood of Christ came. He died on a cross for us, and through the blood of Christ, now we are brought near to God. But this is what he says, which is an unbelievable, awesome passage. For he himself, meaning Jesus, he himself is our peace. That word peace there means to rest Set at one again, one. It's like, picture this. We're building a foundation. We're building this, this awesome foundation and we're missing a few blocks. And it's not going to be a complete, unified, strong foundation. But the writer, Paul of Ephesus, says, for Jesus is our peace. He is our missing block. He is our, he is our, our rest. He has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. He's talking about the Holy of Holies and the curtain. But he said he has made the two one. He has provided a path for reconciliation back to God. Now, is anybody here not a Gentile? We're all Gentiles. Uh, Rick, I, you're Jewish. I understand. Most of us here are Gentiles. Most people in the community are Gentiles, Right? We don't have the, the, the seed of Abraham as, as we uh, physically. We don't have the seed of Jacob, uh, Israel, Isaac. We don't have that. What we have is we have God adopting us into the family because we fell from grace, because we were, we were dead in our sin. And he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be your peace. I'm going to be your link, your combination, your, your bridge between mankind and God. That's who Jesus is. Is that making sense? You didn't, you didn't, nobody nodded. Is it making sense? Okay, so peace with God. That was the point of Jesus. Another is peace with others. I'm going to skip the peace with others. I'm going to read a few verses, but just for sake of time here. I'm going to, I'm going to skip peace with others. I think that could, that'd be an, that's another message altogether. But very quickly, Jesus is our peace with others. In him we can live with others in unity and one accord through the bonds of peace. Talks about that in Ephesians. Romans 12 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with everyone. Romans 14 says, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. 
2 Corinthians says, Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. So again, it falls on us to live in peace. It says, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. There's this accountability that's in Scripture, that's throughout Scripture, that puts it on us. God is faithful. God's going to be there. Have you always been faithful? Raise your hand if you've always been faithful to God. Nobody can. We've all fallen short. But God is faithful. But the one that I want to focus on, and I have some notes in here. I don't know where it's going to go. That happens sometimes. The rabbit might run off a trail and I may follow it. But in Philippians chapter 4, Starting in verse 4, Paul writes to the church at Philippi, he says, and it's a very positive, the book of Philippians is a very positive letter to the church, but he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. You guys remember the song from church school? Rejoice in the Lord always again, I say rejoice. You didn't know I could sing. Huh? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Stop there for a second. Go back to Isaiah. In Isaiah 26, there's something about this accountability I want to talk about again. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast. Him whose mind thinks on you, him whose mind contemplates on you, her whose mind thinks about you, you will keep them in perfect peace. Okay? Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord. Let your gentleness be evident. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Think on God. Talk to God. Pray to God. Visit with God. Complain to God. Struggle with God. With thanksgiving, present your request by prayer and petition. Then, I'm going to add that word, because it's like and is something that's following up a previous thought. Do these things, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding. I don't get it how some people can walk around with this utopian, rose-colored view of life all the time. And I'm like, how are you doing? Just blessed. Life is good. God is awesome. I'm like, yeah, but no, 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 don't, don't, don't rain on my parade. God is awesome. They're thinking about the eternal versus constantly thinking about the temporal. We tend to, as humans... Look in front of our feet when people drive and I'm like waving at them, waving at them, they've got blenders on and all they can do is this. I'm like, hey, look around. We're, we're part Hong Kong. Oh, hey, how are you? Oh, I didn't notice you there. It's because we as humans sometimes are so focused on the here and the now instead of the eternal. That's just the way human beings are designed. Or we're built or we create ourselves that way or we, through life, that's how we become. But it says here, the peace of God which transcends all understanding. And this word will guard your hearts and your minds in 
Christ Jesus. The peace of God, the completeness of God, the comfort of God will guard your hearts and minds. That word guard means this. To protect by military guard, either in order to prevent hostile invasion. Think about that. Think about being at war. And you got these bad guys coming in and you've got an army of guys with AK-47s that are on your side saying, get out of my house! That's how I picture when it says, well, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Is God is taking the offensive here. But how does He take the offensive? By prayers and petition, present your requests to God. And He will guard your hearts. That word guard, again, it means to protect by a military guard, either in order to prevent hostile invasion or to keep the inhabitants of a besieged city from flight. Think about that. That word means to keep the inhabitants of a besieged city from flight. Offensive, powerful, strong. You're not coming into my house. And if you do, you're going to go out limping and maybe missing an arm or maybe dead. Because I'm going to guard. That's what God is doing here. Am I I missing this, Steve? I think when it, I mean, I think this is strong language when you look at a word like this and he's saying that God is going to guard our hearts. He's going to protect our hearts. But how does he do that? You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast. Brothers and sisters, I look at this passage here, and Jesus and John says, I have said these things to you that you may be that you may have peace in the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus came and said, You want to have less anxiety? You want to have less pain? You want to have less turmoil? You want to feel complete and at whole and at peace? Focus on God. Focus on God. Focus on God. Talk to God. Does that mean we're not going to have issues in life? No. That's not what it means. That's not what it says. In fact, it says, in all things, God works together for the good, those who love God and are called according to His purpose. In all things, God works together for the good. That means there's going to be bad things that happen sometimes. But God says He promises that He will keep us in peace when our thoughts are focused on Him. And so for us to blame God sometimes when things happen, it's like, no, there's sin in the world. People are idiots sometimes. They are, aren't they? I, I saw a couple yesterday. I probably, I'll probably see some later today after church, not here. But sometimes people are just, they're, they're just, they're just they're wrong. But who are we focusing on? Are we focusing on human interaction? Are we focusing on, hey, who is this God that we serve? Who is this Prince of Peace in Isaiah chapter 9? Who is this one that is going to bring us completion and fruition? It's Jesus. And I don't want to sound like one of those TV preachers that people are sending money to, it's Jesus. No, I'm talking, like, this is real life stuff here, guys. This is genuine, real life. And I can say from experience, when I have anxiety, it's because I'm focused on temporary. When I have peace and when I have comfort, I'm like, it's all going to work out. God's going to take care of it. And maybe he's, maybe he's got me here so that I can get there. And he knows that if I'm there... I'm going to be better off for the kingdom. He knows that I can give him more glory 
which is going to bring more people into an awesome relationship with the creator of the universe. When you start thinking about eternal things versus temporal, it's, good to, it's, e it's easier to feel good. It's easier to feel like, oh, God's, God's got a purpose. He's got a plan. And I see these promises throughout Scripture. God, God desires, and I'm not saying this as one with so much authority. I'm just saying, according to my understanding of Scripture, God desires more than anything you to have inner peace. He desires it. He wants it for us. And he's like, I'm, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you that perfect peace that you want. I'm going to give it to you. But you're going to have a part in this. And your part, your mind needs to be steadfast on me. It's a cause and effect. Gravity. Everything happens for a reason. Well, of course it does. I dropped a pin. Gravity exists. It's a cause and effect. You think on him. You think on him. You go to him with petitions and prayers and you struggle through life with him as he carries you along, as he walks with you. He's like, I'm going to give you peace. And I believe the more we do that, the older we get, the more mature we become, the more faithful we become, we start experiencing it more and more and more. And if you're feeling like, man, I don't have peace, I don't know God, no. You've seen that sticker, no peace, no God, K-N-O-W, peace, K-N-O-W, God, and then no peace, N-O peace, no God, N-O God. Okay? You've seen those. Sometimes we can get this guilt and we're like, I don't feel any peace, I obviously God's not listening to me, I don't know God. No. God's like, God's our Father who's going, I want you so bad to experience this. Just trust me in this one. Come to me. Come talk to me. Come pray to me. Go up in the mountains. Take a walk along the creek and just sit down and say, God, I'm struggling with something here. Help me out. Help me understand this. And focus on him. And you'll find, my experience is you'll find something in here that God's going to be speaking to you. And God's going to say, you know, I'm, I, I got you. Just keep walking with me. It's going to be okay. So all because of like changed a diaper, you guys got a sermon on peace. Probably had to change more diapers. Um, God bless you guys today and uh, this summer. I want to encourage you, Therese, in closing, Therese, uh, Therese mentioned this in his testimony that we are to, uh, two things we're supposed to do, take up our cross and encourage one another daily. Um, where it talks about encouraging one another, uh, it says, let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Right before that it says, um, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we may provoke one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. This is not a guilt plug. I'm just saying for your own good, God is encouraging us to make fellowship a part of our daily walk, part of our weekly walk. We come together, we fellowship together, we eat together, pray for one another. God is calling us to that.
And when you think about this creator that spoke everything into existence, made the cross on the mesa, creates laminin. I mean, physics, everything you, everywhere you look, it's God. And he's saying, I've got a better way for you. I've got a better way if you want it. If you don't want it, that's on you. Here's the option. Take it. I want you to take it. That's God. Everything we need to know is right here. So, God bless you guys. Who has communion? You'll bless the, the food as well, brother.